Welcome to Books and Bourbon, where I, Katie, your host, bring you my love of books and bourbon with monthly takes on what to read and why bourbon is more than a great liquor. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Books and Bourbon. I think it's been a while since I've been on. I think I should have taken the last two months off for some for some things and catch up on everything. So it's good to be back. Um, world's a little crazy right now, now that we're back. And so I decided I wanted to do an ongoing discussion of something kind of important to a lot of us. And I know I have two amazing guests, um, one the, one of them who got me into podcasting. So if you don't like my podcast, you can blame her. And <laughs> ha, ha, ha. <laughs> or Greg, or Greg, it's Greg's fault. Yeah. <laughs> and another one who has been a guest on here, the amazing Myron, helping them back to us. And Elian, I'm so glad you could finally join us on this show. And we're going to, we're going to get a little. Hello, one. everyone. Yes. Hello. <laughs> Thank you guys for joining me. I'm happy to have you on. How are we all? (laughs) Exhausted. Yes. (laughs) I'm exhausted. Um, March in a teacher's world. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I had, I I did that teacher thing where you come home, you sit down, you immediately start doing work. And before you know it, you're asleep by 8 PM on the couch. Yeah. And then you realize, holy crap, I have a podcast to record. Wake up. Hey, wake up, time. (laughs) Oh, Myron's out there enjoying the lovely sunshine out there that all of us are jealous about. (laughs) Off and on rain, a little bit. Well, it's hard to say there's a little bit too much rain when you're in California because we (laughs) You have gotten a lot. Yes, right. We had a little water, a little rain today, but it's been sunny for the last few hours again. It's really nice. Nice. That sounds I'm jealous. I am too. (laughs) I am too. Again, like I said, I took yesterday off just to enjoy it. And I was like, my Friday, I didn't get to enjoy my Friday because we had to shelter in place. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah. All right. Um, So this, tonight's topic, taking a little different direction for the show and, um, and wanted to talk about book bands and figure what better have an author and a teacher to discuss to start off this. Like I said, it's going to be an ongoing discussion. I have several people lined up that are wanting to talk about it. Um, so yeah, let's jump in. And you know, one of the first questions I have, do you guys ever find a valid reason to ban books? Like, is there ever a reason do you feel in your heart that there needs to be a book ban? Or books, certain books need to be banned, or is it, or is it a slippery slope? I I think it's a slippery slope. If we say, look, these books are really bad because they're super racist, anti-Semitic, sexist, and we say, well, these fit into that category, so we need to ban them. Mm-hmm. Who's the arbiter? Who's the arbiter? Who decides that? And then where do we draw the line? So I'm I'm 
kind of always leaning on the side of don't don't ban the books. I feel like you kind of give them more power when you ban a book, you make people want to read it more. And so I kind of just ignore the ones that you want to ignore. But don't ban. I don't know. I that makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. I think I I think I lean towards what you're saying, uh, Elian, that it's a slippery slope and we should not ban books. I think that Western civilization has shown the path, you know hundreds of years that banning books is never an end game. It's always um, either the start or the midpoint of bad things to come. Right? Mm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I mean, even someone like, well, so I read somewhere, it's like somebody brought up Mind Camp. I was like, yeah, it's not, it's not a book I would ever read. And there are a lot of things, controversial things about it, but you start with one, where do you end with that? And I think what was it that whole movie, American History X, where he wrote, you know, he did his whole report paper on Mein Kampf and, you know, all the teachers tried to jack him for it and he stood up for himself and it's like, at the same time, yeah, it's a horrible book. Led to some horrible things, but... (laughs) And I, and I think, like, um, Elian being a teacher, we have a structure in place for for books, uh, for age-appropriate books. So Elian just, she doesn't give her fourth to fifth graders um, high school level reading books, right? And I recall um, being a voracious reader when I was a child, and hanging out with my mother and my mother got into the books, the, um, there were feminist books back in the day, or there, there were women's liberation books yeah. when she was reading them. And she was reading mm-hmm. about, you know, women having adult relations, you know, and, and being in control of themselves as the women's lib movement um, was promoting at the time. And I remember laying with her on the sofa, she's reading, I'm trying to read over her shoulder. And she says, this is not appropriate for you. <laughs> and that made you want to read it even more. You were like, why? <laughs> but yeah, but you know, there's that. And then there's, as I was saying, Elian being a teacher, we know you don't give a first grade or a 12th grade reading yeah. level type book. We no, have and in place. I mean, here's the thing, like developmentally, the, the average fifth grader is not reading at a high school level. Mm-hmm. I do have kids that are really high level readers and it's always kind of difficult to find the right books for them because you want them to be challenged. You don't want to give them a book that's way too easy, but then you also have to be careful with the subject matter. So, so then it becomes a little tricky, but you'd be surprised you give kids the, the freedom, I guess, so to speak, to choose for themselves, you'd be surprised most often, more often than not, they make the right choice. Yeah, that's, yeah. You know. I think, you know, I think, I think in that discussion of banning books, um, and let's be honest, it's Republicans who want, who want to ban books, right? We have to call, like, the vice president says, right? Call a thing a thing. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, it's really retro thinking because we're in the digital age. 
So if you ban that hard copy book from your school library, that doesn't mean that that child or those students will never hear that book ever again. It's in the, it's in the, it's on the internet, right? It's there. And there, there's no going back to pre-internet days where you could literally just take a book out of the school library and that kid can't find it, you know, or something like that. Those days are long gone. That's true. I mean, honestly, I can't think of a better way to encourage children to read. <laughs> let me tell you something. They're they're not out here like, ooh, let me read, let me read. But if you tell them you can't do something, they're going to be like, I need to know why and I'm going to do it. So, you know, keep it coming. I mean, <laughs> the the first book that my students read as a class in fifth grade, actually, is on the banned book list in Florida which I think is insane because the book is a graphic novel about a sixth grade kid or I'm sorry. Yeah. Sixth grade kid who is going to a new school. The only reason I can think of that that book is banned in Florida is because the main character is black and he experiences a lot of microaggressions and sometimes outright racism I think that's probably the most controversial thing in that book. I mean, it is a children's book. Yeah. It's a fifth graders book. And I, I just think it's absurd. I, you know, I was telling my kids, if, if, if we were in Florida, I'd be arrested right now because I'm not allowed to let you read this book. And they're like, why? This is like one of the most benign, nonviolent books I've ever read. Like, I don't understand, but yeah, I don't get it either. Yeah, I was looking over the list and it's like, there's one about a girl that goes to a sushi place. It, it's fish. Rapid. It's absurd. It, it is. It's absurd. It is. And it's just, and it brings me like, what, my next question is like, what harms is this being caused for book bans? Like, what are we denying our children and our students and of what type of books? Like, you know, they're going to find them. I know I was. My mom told me I wasn't allowed to read it when I was little. And at 10 years of age, <laughs> I read it and I regret it. I'm that was scary. It. <laughs> <laughs> it was. I, I, I think that, you know, to your question, it's very, alien to what you said about the book about the black boy going to a new school, it's very traditional, it's very obvious that how we'll be harmed is um, those of us who have fought our way to representation. So uh, black, brown people, women, LGBTQI community, um, and marginalized people, we found our way um, to be seen and heard and to make sure that children, all children are exposed to more than the very small group of books that were classified as classics. And most of those classes were written by, written by white men, the vast majority. And while some of them are classics and there's a lot of learning to be had, that's not all that there is. There's other points of view. And so I think we're harmed as a society when we limit our kids to such a narrow point of view and they go out into the world and they see us, right? They, they see us. And I think that that's very damaging. It's very damaging. It is. And, and I'm going to kind of add on to that. It's also, it's a tool 
so that certain types of children never see themselves. Yeah. It's about not seeing yourself and only seeing one certain type of experience as being the type of experience that is right and correct and and should be, you know, aspired um, to have. They want to erase our our experience, our existence, our, you know, they, you know, you said we have fought our way into representation and they want us to go back into hiding, so to speak. They don't want the the culture, the media, the books, the the TV shows, the movies to reflect the fact that we exist. Yeah, I think um, something you said in your introduction, Katie, I'm an author. And in preparing for this, uh, your podcast, I was thinking, which of my books will be banned in Florida? All of them? My BLM and Monuments, right? Those two are three big. Yeah. Right? Who books address um, police violence against Black people? And those books address Confederate monuments, right? And these are addressed, and both books address or include historical events in this country, you know, race riots and race massacres and things like that. Those will be banned. But you know what? My newest novel, a teenage coming of age novel, um, Jamal's Credible Ventures in the Black Church. Well, we talk God, religion, sexuality, a uh, teenager exploring sexuality, a teenager talking to a gay man in a church about sexuality, right? We though that book deals with that and it deals with first time sexual experiences between two teenagers. And those that that book would be banned as well. It, it, Absolutely. It, and, yeah. and really those books, um the other two books are appropriate for for elementary. I I understand that. But yeah. Jamal's a, is a YA book. Yeah. It, it will be banned. Yeah. Even you got this book. My yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. without a doubt, the goddess book would be banned. It'd be the first one banned. Yeah. <laughs> what a book about love and unity, it would be banned. Yeah, it's it does not it debunks a male god figure. Yeah, it debunks a lot of the, the core tenements of the main <laughs> religions. It would definitely be banned, like yeah. with a quickness. Be against that book. That book. Even a, one of my local bookstores would not take that book. Um, they just said, no, we don't. Um, our book owner is Christian, and she doesn't uh, promote books like this. Y'all wow. don't buy these books. Right. right. Now, that's for Marshall either. Marshall Myron, right there, <laughs> because they are phenomenal. <laughs> All of them. I've read them. Yeah. <laughs> that's a gorgeous book. A gorgeous yeah. book. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I have a lot of questions. I have it in my office. I've got a few questions. I was like, they love yeah. the cover. And I was like, well, let me tell you about it. It's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Myron's like, that's right. Best book ever written. Yeah, that's what ever. I it's the Florida peeps, all my Southern peeps, go buy these books before they're banned because they sadly. <laughs> and that's thing. Like, that's a gift wrap those books and mail them to the Florida governor. I think it's a great idea. Our governor would hardly take them, but. When our senators out there would <laughs> yeah. that's and that's one of the things like even the simple thing of imagination library is being taken into like Virginia West Virginia just recently went statewide Kentucky even went statewide and they went 
national because some one of our stupid um, senators here, I can still say that because he's trying to take away our uh, reading program here, um, was like, well, are these age appropriate? Are they topic appropriate? And they're Dolly Parton books. Oh, I yeah. mean, good God. Yeah, it, it's, it, it was, I didn't, I, I don't like her, but mm. Stella stood up for her, stood up for it and went on a little rampage job on it. And it's just like, no, these, these, yeah, they're, they do major research. Like there's a panel of people that go out and read these books to figure out what is age appropriate. And uh, yeah, and they are very diverse. I will say that. I one of the, That's one of the reasons I love this program so much is because they are so diverse. I think that's what is pissing. Like I, I honestly do wait for the day that uh, DeSantis or any of these dumbass governors down here try to go after her because I will, because it's not like here in Kentucky it is state funded now, but it's only a portion of it. Rest is by donations and which is how most of the program runs throughout the whole country. There are some states that provide some money for it, but it's a match donation. And right now I think in Florida, it, there's none that, so they, he doesn't have a lot of grounds, but I can see him going after it very quickly and I mean what how is that how is that going to solve anything letting kids that truly benefits like there's research out there of how well yeah. benefit and not just the kids the families there are parents out there that are learning to read with their kids that didn't have the opportunity to read so they're sitting there down with these books with their kids and you know there's programs out there that put out read-alongs so if the parents don't know how to read they can help with that since so it's yeah it's it's frustrating to see where I mean going. I I think that's that's part of the reason why they're doing it right it is so much easier to control a population that is illiterate it, it, I mean there's no <laughs> there's no coincidence in the fact that enslaved people were not allowed to read and write that was one of the biggest crimes they could commit was try to learn to read and write and that's because when you are able to read and write you can communicate you can learn you can you know send messages you can be informed and that's a scary thing to a fascist right so that's 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 their point they don't want children to develop their love of reading they don't want the, the these children to help their parents become more literate the, you know they they want to you know, that whole dumbing down society, that's that's a thing. They really want to do that because it's easier to control people who don't have the ability to really look into what's going on. Yeah, and to be spoon-fed information, right? Like right. propaganda TV network, for example, or, uh, or and from uh, different social media sites that push um, that type of, information to most people's feeds, right? It could be Twitter, Facebook, they just push certain things. But, you know, I think about back in the 90s, even if you go before that, you know, the big push to get people to learn how to read. Remember to, in order for America to compete in the 20th century, back in the 50s and 60s and 70s, they started saying we needed educated people, right? And you get to the 80s and 90s, and you, I remember President Bill Clinton saying, if we're going to compete with the rest of the world, we need an educated 
um, electorate, citizenry, citizenry, and workforce and school, we got to be prepared for the digital age. And now, 30 years after that, we have a whole political party saying, no, we don't want you. We want to ban books and take them out of schools, take them out of libraries and stop all of it. And how are our kids um, and adults, as you were saying, how do you compete in a world that is no longer distant, but is small? How, how do you compete if you take away, um, you prevent them from getting knowledge in a in a way that has proven effective for now a thousand years? Just say somehow we're gonna we're gonna stop that. But you know, I, I have another point to that, and that is where are the book publishers? Why aren't they protesting this? Where are the corporations who need literate people? Why aren't they protesting this? Like it's left to only the most vocal democratic voters, but where's everybody else fighting this book ban? It, it harms everybody. That's a very excellent point there, Myron. That's something we were actually kind of talking in uh, one of my classes yesterday. It's like, as we go for the future of education and fighting against neoliberal, liberal, neoliberal universities that are so focused on the capitalization that you know there were students like that refused to play football because of a racial like the Missouri and then the kid in Mississippi State who refused to fly the Mississippi State flag and he refused that was one person but the same thing is like we need a we need it has to fight come from the money and it, it sucks that that's where it has to come from but they have to realize that what they're you're going to start losing publishers and writers and it's like, well, I'm not going to write. Why am I going to write my story if I can't get published? Cause I can't sell a book here in Florida. Like they're going to get, take it elsewhere and where it can, you know, internationally or something from somewhere else. And we, we need, we need more people in power to step up. I agree. I completely agree with that statement. Right. It's true. More, more than just political power. You, we need mm-hmm. like love it or hate it. We, we live in a capitalist, the, the number one capitalist nation in the world. And the only way you hit people is by in the businesses and politics is in the pocketbooks. And and uh, even though Ron DeSantis is probably the most vocal, it's not just him. You can go, you can go in all these states banning um, books and things like that. And you know what? Well, why are the tourists going there? And why are the businesses not saying anything? Because if those businesses don't give them give the politicians money, that ends them. It's just, That's true. It's just that simple. That'll end them. Mm-hmm. You just left me with some thoughts. Oh. <laughs> uh, you know, there's there's a a quote from Harper Lee. Actually, she says, "Until I feared I would lose it, I never loved to read." Uh, one doesn't love breathing. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I feel like more people need to like feel that that urgency. Like they're trying to take this away from us. Yeah. And uh, that's a big deal. And I feel like you're right, Myron. Like not enough people are alarmed mm-hmm. right. by that, this. Right. Because because taking a book out of um K through 12 is one thing, right? 
taking it out of a publicly funded library is another problem. But then I forget the state, it may be Texas, who is trying to pass a bill that that prevents uh, anyone under 16 from having a social media account. Yes. So you start hitting these prongs and you start, it's, it, it, it's like I was saying when we first started, banning a book is not the end, right? It's always somewhere in the, in the, in the first part of things. And then you just start spreading from there and it only gets worse. And to go with that, you think of like taking the, somebody's ability to read away the trick, that whole trickle effect. It's going to take away movies. It takes away somebody's got to be able to write those movies. It's the same with video games. I mean, somebody's got to be able to write the code for video games. I mean, it's not just being able to take somebody's ability to, to read a book away. It's so much more than that. And I don't think people really realize right. how much they depend on just things they they might not be readers themselves but sure as hell i know a lot of video gamers that aren't readers takes right. that ability away what are you going to do then you're because you're not going to design them you're not going to know how to do that and <laughs> your movies right. that everybody loves so much comic book writers and yeah it's <laughs> that's what i was curious is like if they start going after comic books what yeah, yeah i think something particularly in city particularly insidious about the whole book banning movement is is there are people um, politicians and school board members who are not qualified, mm-hmm. right? They're not qualified. Right? We like, already know the yeah, people <laughs> making educational policy have no idea what's going on in classrooms. Oh, Let's yes, just leave, you know, make never, that clear. Never taught a class, a, a group of children, how to read, how to um, um, learn the alphabet, conjugate verbs, you know, all that kind of stuff. They all know how to read, yeah. right? Because they were taught in school by a teacher. Yep. That's why they know how to read. And they were taught mm-hmm. not just with teachers writing on boards and, you know, cue cards and things, because that teacher handed them a book. <laughs> right? Correct. Right? Now, not to say that their parents didn't also give them, you know, read to them goodnight moves or whatever, you know, but most of their time was spent kindergarten, and, you know, when you start learning to read first, second, third, fourth grade, is a teacher standing right there teaching them how to read. <laughs> right. And now they're now they're in power saying, don't give these kids books. <laughs> Interesting. Hmm? Yep. <laughs> two top senators here in Kentucky, state senators, one's a farmer and one's a real estate agent, and they are our top education committee members that oh. are trying to get rid of literacy development program oh. here in the state. Uh, that makes sense because, you know, you know so much about being a teacher as a farmer, yes. maybe a little, but as a real estate guy, it's just like, we need a requirement and, and I'm not big on requirements. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. But we need people in positions to make educational policy. They should have they should have to be required to have been a teacher at some point for Mm -hmm. at least some amount of time. Absolutely. I I do understand, you know, some people don't stay in the classroom. They go into positions of leadership. They go into administration, um, into the districts and, and so forth. And I'm all about that, like vertical movement. I'm, I love it. However, to have so much power, 
to create policy that's going to affect millions of children, mm -hmm. even if we're just talking about one state, one city even, right? How? Yeah. How could you reasonably be trusted to do that when you've never taught a day in your life? Right. I saw it doesn't make sense. I saw a video, I think it was in Missouri, and some legislator uh, lady wrote a bill and basically trying to take any mention of what she calls, you know, alternative lifestyles. And one of her peers out oh, of break, and one of her peers was questioning her. And he said, you know, he basically asked her which lifestyles. And her only retort was, well, some that just don't agree with my personal beliefs. That, that's all she could fall back on. My personal beliefs, and we know what she was saying, right? Right, we know what she was saying. Mm -hmm. uh, she did not want anything about um, the LGBTQI plus community in any mention at all. Just even mention, not the letters, the word, nothing, because it disagrees with her personal beliefs. <laughs> and yep. so she wants to stop the entire school district because her personal religion, her conservative religious beliefs. Right. So she didn't want and and, and the, her peer questioner said, well, why should your your personal beliefs govern what all these other families get to learn? Yeah. And she really didn't have a retort for that. But it's that type of know, that's type of uh, solipsism, like nothing matters outside of you, even though we know we are school and education. It's for the public good. Right, the more educated we are, the healthier we are, the the less violence we have, the healthier families we have, the more mental health, stable mental health we have. Everything is better by education. Yes. And so, to then start banning books, and very targeted banning, right? It's not everybody; just targeted banning. It it is it's so insidious and it's so it's so calls back to enslavement you will not learn to read you will never get a bible and when you do get a bible we're going to cut out pages so you can only see a little bit you cannot see anything about revolution or personal rights or anything or you know anything like that you can only see you need to obey your master like that kind of stuff basically that that person in missouri she was advocating for the same thing and it's happening across the nation yes and world really i mean yeah there's, there's, <laughs> even you're hearing in france england middle east areas it's just it's very interesting times right now <laughs> for sure for books to be and it's and i think back i remember reading um cecile richard's memoir and she was talking about her mom being governor of Texas and going up against uh, George W. Bush when he was running for against her as governor and how they really thought in the beginning that he would have no chance. But she started hearing whisperings of evangelicals starting to take over school boards Wow! and how they were wanting to start getting rid of certain books. And this was in the 80s and 70s, late 80s. Late 70s, early 80s, and how that has led. And then you have Reagan 
getting an office and how, you know, this has been 30, same with a 30 year fight, 40 year fight for them continuation. And they just keep trying to find, you know, might go away for a couple of years, but it's like they're pecking away, trying to find new routes to weave themselves in to get control. And as they become less and less in the majority, in the majority that, cause they are, they are not in the majority anymore, but the majority isn't speaking up at, right now. And that's right. The, I think that's, it was like, well, we support gay rights, you know, 70%. Well, where are you all standing up for those gay rights? The same with, you know, voting rights and that it's just all is tied together. That it's like, well, there's a lot of major things that are very popular that are in the majority that are being attacked right now. And it's taking, it's minority in the majority being right. vocal about it. We need. <laughs> you make a good point. Cause look how fast we went from last year, Rhonda Santis saying, no one, you can't say gay. And that was just a year ago. Then it's, then it's, you can't teach critical race theory in college, even college. And it's always been taught at. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's never been taught outside of college, by the way, yeah. ever. Yeah. That's not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> this, this band books in Florida that include um, Roberto Clemente. Like what? Yeah, a, a a children's biography book right. about Roberto Clemente or Celia Cruz band. And how are you gonna ban Celia Cruz, a Cuban <laughs> in Florida? No, that wouldn't be irony. <laughs> right, right. And the teacher uh, called it out, and around the center said, "That's not true. They're, they're they're making that up." And then the proof is there. No, this book is on the banned list. And he said, "Oh no, they could just write in and say, no, we need to take that off." And but why would we want to have to do that? Because here's the thing. If you're going to make it so that, oh, well, we can take this book off the band list. You just have to go fill out this form and get X amount of signatures, whatever. Like, people don't have time for this shit. I'm sorry. You're a teacher. I'm going to tell you right now, you barely have time to, like, wash your hair at the end of the day. Okay? You don't have time to then go fill out some form just so you can read your kids a children's book that has always been widely accepted as appropriate for children and that form goes to a political appointee yeah right who has no teaching or education background but who only it was appointed because he serves ron santis yep. so now you're begging this person to let you have a book about roberto clemente or you know there's a thousand books he put on the list like, the whole idea is to stop it like yeah so to your point katie you're right that even things that are popular um, um from a polling standpoint can be lost because people are not active because we know most of the country uh, uh, agrees with abortion mm-hmm. but what good is that doing yeah when you vote in people let's be honest as republicans when you vote in Republicans to it's keep roles in state legislatures. They have been banning abortion like crazy over the past, you know, few years. Yep. Yeah. So, so it's all part of the same thing. So, banning books. Um, going back to your original question, I do not support banning books, and I think we already have a pretty good infrastructure in place. Uh, to guide our kids through age-appropriate books mm-hmm. in public school, and then libraries also have a way. You know, a ten-year-old cannot 
go into a library and check out pornography, for example. Yeah, like we exactly. have those processes right. in place. Yeah. Right. It's in place. It is. <laughs> and it's easy to put age restrictions when you're doing like even just the apps, the right. library apps that they use. And it's like kids can like you we mentioned earlier, kids can find a way to get a book. If they want a book, they're gonna find a book. If you're telling them not to read it, they're gonna find a way to read it. I mean, I did. I, I regret I, it. I, I did. <laughs> All those people complaining, they got kids. I bet they don't even set the parental guards on their streaming services. I was going to say the same thing. Like the things that your children are watching on Netflix, YouTube, on cable, everywhere, everywhere. And you guys don't even realize it, but they come to school talking about it and I hear all about it. Okay. (laughs) Let me tell you something like a book about a black kid going to a new school is not the thing that you need to be worried about. Like your children are doing way worse things and you're not even paying attention. No, no. <laughs> right, you're worried about the wrong stuff. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Maybe sit down and talk to your kid and find out what they are talking about with their friends and not what they're reading because what they're reading is nowhere near what they're talking about with their friends. <laughs> At all. Or trying to learn about. And yeah, it's... Um, do y'all have a favorite band book? Mine has always been to kill. I don't. It always gets banned. It's one of the first <laughs> to kill Mockingbird, and it's been always my favorite. I think I read that in about fourth grade. I think was when I read it, <laughs> and I read it every couple of years. But it's one of the first. I'm I'm pretty sure that this book is one of the books that is banned. Um, it's called Sula oh, yeah. by Toni Morrison. Yeah, that, <laughs> Is that, yeah, yep. That's my favorite one. It has my favorite opening line of any book like ever. You gotta say it now. Oh, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> they kill the white girl first. With yeah. the rest, they take their time. <laughs> I love that. Like, that is the most gangster <laughs> opening of a book ever. Like... <laughs> Because it just leaves you going, wait, huh? Like, what? <laughs> what is going on here? It's like the title for my next book that I'm trying to write about <laughs> women assassins, and I feel like that's appropriate. <laughs> oh, I think probably Roots by Alex Haley. You know. Mm. Oh, I apologize. That was not Sula. It was Paradise. Oh, Paradise. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Yes. But both both books are banned by the what is up with them banning Tony Morrison? Like I know, every darn book aside, like I don't understand. Yep. <laughs> every single one of hers is on this list I'm looking at. Uh, of mice and men. A mice and men is on that? Yeah. That's so weird. It is. Um like I don't understand. <laughs> no. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. That's on there. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Do you know how much I was obsessed with that book when I was in elementary school? <laughs> I mean, that was like the most tame Judy Bloom book ever. It's like, oh no, I got my period. You're like, right. They're banning girls' periods now. Now you're not allowed to menstruate. <laughs> That's awful. Oh, where's Waldo? They're banning. Where's Waldo? Where's Waldo's band? Apparently. Oh my gosh. Some of these, I'm like, why? That means it does not make any sense at all. No. The Sleeping Beauty. Because, you know. That's wild. 
I mean, one of my new favorite ones, it's, it's a, it's a book called new kid. And that's the one I read with my, with my students. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. Like I enjoyed it as an adult reading it. I was like, this is such a good book. Yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah I don't get it. Half the authors we're going to have at our conference this year are going to be banned at this point. That'll <laughs> make it fun. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, Catch and Ride, that's always on. The Giver, that's... Oh, yeah. yeah. I love The Giver. Oh, that's such a good book. I mean, next thing you know, you're going to... Next thing you're going to tell me they banned, like, Bridge to Terabithia. Did they ban Bridge to Terabithia? <laughs> it wouldn't me. surprise me. <laughs> uh, well... Native Son, of course, I've written that one on there. <laughs> I think I saw Shocker. Raisin in the Sun was banned, too. Hmm? Raisin in the Sun was banned, I think. Yeah. I Color Purple is banned, too. Oh, I love the Color Purple. Me, too. Did they ban the Harry Potter books? Yeah, that's on the list. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was wondering, because, you know, they might they they ban those books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious about that yeah they don't they don't like any you know i i actually had a student one year um their parent was like really upset because we read some harry potter stuff in the class they were like really they're like that's witchcraft and i'm like it's a children's book dude they calm down (laughs) calm down other things that people will get upset over. It's yeah. I'm like, are you not mad that your kid like doesn't do their work and is failing, but like you're mad that they actually picked up Harry Potter and read it? At least they should be celebrating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're reading. <laughs> uh. I mean, I, I just remember I think it, I mean you know better, Eliana as a teacher, but I remember you know, once you learn to read, you know, you hit that, you hit that moment. I remember being in, I think it was fifth grade and we had the book fairs and all that kind of stuff. And we had a reading contest and it was, you know, for one month, it was reading month or whatever it was. And on, in a, one of our hallways, we had everyone's name on a little color for book and we tracked the teachers track, you know, who was reading the most books. Yeah. And there was some kind of prize or something, you know. And I just remember, and you have to be, ex- you know, all the rules around that kind of stuff. But I remember reading a book every day, like just every day, just sitting down, reading a book. And it was glorious, yeah. right? Because you start off wanting, or well, me, to win, right? But then after a while, you just, you're in the books. Yep. And the month was over and I know I read more than 30 and I was hoping to win, but I could never catch my, my uh, classmate, Michelle, who doubled everybody. <laughs> Darn. What was Michelle was just doing nothing but reading all day long. In <laughs> those grades, there's always a girl that could outdo you. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> my mom would get so annoyed right? every and, single night. Yeah. I know looking back on it, from the beginning of the book reading contest, by the end of the contest, it was a fifth grade, I was out of books and I had a brother in seventh grade and they were his class were reading The Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Well, they, The Hobbit first and then The Lord of the Rings. 
And so I picked up The Hobbit. And my brother was like, oh, that's too hard for you to read. You can't read that book, you know, Big Brothers. And then I read it. And I thought, this is fantastic. And I wanted the rest of the series. And I went to a bookstore and I stole the rest of the series of the Lord. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> the though is... It was for the love of reading. Yes. It's okay. <laughs> it was for the love of reading. And so the point being, like you were saying earlier, if they ban the books in school, the kids are going to get the books. Yeah. Right? They're going to get them on their phones. They're going to get them online, like you were saying earlier, on YouTube, TikTok. They're going to get the books. Mm -hmm. We're going to find a way. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that makes me want to have a readathon now. Yeah. We have an adult readathon where yes. we like post our stickers of, of how many books we've read on Twitter or something. I and we win a prize at the end. Let's do yes. this. Absolutely. <laughs> I am totally down for this. I am so down for that. I'll, I'll whip out my Babysitter's Club books. I used to read one of those bad boys at night. Those were okay. amazing. Those are the Nancy Drew. <laughs> So, I love Nancy Drew as well. <laughs> with the bus. Oh, what's the uh, magic school bus? That's school bus, yeah. Uh, magic school bus, yes. There was also boxcar children. Do you remember? Oh. They were like little oh. detectives, but they yes. were also homeless and they lived in a abandoned train car. I think that is actually a so bad weird. Bad too, probably. I think Nancy <laughs> Drew and the Babysitter's Club is bad. <laughs> I don't know what they can read. Like, I really want to know what they can read down Florida. Like, white that's why those shelves are empty. You see yeah. those empty shelves in those libraries. It's yeah. so sad. It's hard to see. You brought up something really interesting that is also, that should also be part of this conversation. So I grew up in uh, California, Oakland, California. Alina, you're a New Yorker. And Katie, you're in uh, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And we have a shared experience with certain books. Yeah. And that that creates culture and that creates um yes. avenues for uh, meeting and knowing people and understanding people and things like that that that's also what books do because we give our kids around the country all those same age appropriate books and there's right. quality in that yeah and you have like a shared language right oh. and and that's also part of what they want to stop from yeah. happening that's Yes, yeah, it's more. It's more than the book. Yeah. So yes, that's the great yeah. thing. That's book. one of the things that I love about Imagination Library too is a lot of times they will give preschool teachers and kindergarten teachers the sets of books, so they have them, and the kids they show up to school and they see, oh my god, I know that book, I read that book, and so they yeah. see so excited and just that something familiar to them that helps them out in school and makes them more successful and again they want to take that away it's just like right yeah it, it, it's so it's just insidious and it's spread yeah right? for their ways to divide us mm -hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> well thank you guys I, I, we're, i'm gonna find a way we're gonna do maybe april we will start a book club book I'm competition not. reading <laughs> let's do it yes i think april is there's a book month with April. There's something going on in April. I know that was something with books. So we'll do it. I, should, I feel like I should know that. week <laughs> in April or May. Is it May or t April now? Or March? I don't, I don't know anymore. There's, it's summer, Every there's a lot going on in April, I feel like. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to say I should know this stuff. But, you know, it's a long night. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to do that. 
Um, but I thank you guys so much for coming on. This was something I've been had on my mind. I was like, this is something we need to talk about. So I wanted to spend some time with some great people and glad you were able to come on. And um, so yeah, I will drop this episode tomorrow and thank you again. Can I leave you with a with a quote? One Absolutely. of my favorite quotes yes. about reading because do. just just to remember why we're so passionate about book bands is because we're so passionate about books and yes. reading. Um, and this is a quote from George R.R. R. Martin, who needs to hurry up and finish the darn series already. But yep. that's besides the point. <laughs> he says, a reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. The man who never reads lives only one. Oh, I love that. It's true. It's a great cap on the show. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you for having us. Okay. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to this episode of Books and Bourbon. I hope you had a chance to enjoy our panel tonight today that we um, had a chance with Myron, Elion, and Noxie tonight that they did a great job and gave us some great insight on what we're facing right now as a nation with book bands and it was a very good conversation and I hope you all enjoyed it. Now shifting gears to something a little lighter. I'm going to start off with some bourbon because I know I'm going to need some after that conversation tonight that we had there. Um, and with it being March, that which is International Women's Month, I thought I would highlight um, three different bourbons this time. Um you know, women in bourbon are taking it over happily. And there are some amazing women out there right now in the bourbon distillery world that are founding, founding their own distilleries. They're master distillers themselves. And so the future in bourbon is definitely very female right now. And I love it. And one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast is to get more women interested in bourbon um you know i i started off just a few years ago with some interest in it and here i am now hosting this podcast and hoping hopefully teaching some more women about it and anybody else that is just interested in learning about bourbon um so i picked three bourbons that i don't think i featured yet have featured yet on this uh podcast and i've talked about one of them i know that um and I'll start out with her. It actually is Fawn Weaver. Um, she is the founder of Uncle Nearest Distillery in Tennessee. Um, she's one of the fastest growing distilleries. Out, has founded one of the fastest growing distilleries out there at this moment. And it has probably one of the most unique stories in the bourbon world out there. A uh, little bit of background, Uncle Nearest for those that do not know, um, was an enslaved person in Tennessee um, that taught the founder of Jack Daniels how to make whiskey. And he his story was basically not always told, especially the history of Jack Daniels. Um, it was known in some parts, especially with his family. He has a lot of descendants down in Tennessee area still that... Um, held on to that story and Fawn Weaver had the chance to find out about it. And she, you know, she'd been an entrepreneur for 25 years before this and really felt this was 
a bourbon that needed to be made again. And so she took the recipes, she took the techniques, everything that he had, that Uncle Nearest originally, also known Nearest Green, originally used and taught to the founder of Jack Daniels and started her own bourbon line. Started her own bourbon distillery down in Tennessee. Um, she even started a scholarship fund um, for the family of Nearest Green to go to college, to go start their own businesses. So she's done a lot of great, amazing work um, with her bourbon out there. And and I will say um, it is one, her, two of the bourbons that I have are two of my top favorite bourbons. They, I always have a bottle sitting on my shelf, always will. Um, got the opportunity to, which I haven't gone down to the distillery soon. I'm hoping with either the summer or fall to make it down there. Um, but I did have somebody bring me a bottle of the rye. And y'all know, I'm not typically a rye person. It's not usually my favorite. It's getting there. Still working my way through it. But um, had the opportunity to try this rye. And I thought, well, I'm not going to turn it down, so of course. And so I thought I would give it a try and use it for this month's, one of this month's choices. Um and you know it's it's young it's a young bourbon um it definitely has some nice rye it has an herbal an herbal i would say earthy taste and smell to it um and spicy um and as you taste it it gets you get there's some layers to it that you are able to taste in um here i'll take a little taste of it right now <laughs> I'm a nice three glasses. You can't see, but I've got three glasses lined up here to give them, uh, give a try here. And this is, um, it's, it is at 90. Let me see. I, I let me grab the bottle here. I forgot to grab that. Sorry about that. Um, it is a hundred proof. Not sorry. I thought it was 90 in the nineties. It is actually a hundred proof. Uh, so it is high end. So it's going to have some heat to it. And you can smell that right at the beginning. Um, there's also some nice buttery smell to it as well. A little bit of honey. Um, I, you pick up some of the oak to it and the vanilla. And there's a banana as well at, towards the end of the taste or smell of it. Um, like I said, it's a very earthy, but a little bit of fruity smell um, to it. It doesn't have, it doesn't have a high heat smell um for sunrise usually when you have sunrise you can whew, you can smell <laughs> and this one uh doesn't hit as high i was kind of shocked for it being 100 proof um so giving a little taste here um there is some heat to it i will say when you do taste it i get a little, my guess would be fennel uh, taste to it because there's a little, there's a bite of licorice too and the taste buds on it. Um, some pear as well. You can pick up the oak barrels in it on the taste, on the tongue. And some banana and, and vanilla in there. So again, it's a rye. I'm learning. Again, not my favorite choices, um, but I, you know, for a rye 
it's not bad. Um, fun. This is one of the newer ones um, that they've come out and it's starting to sell in stores, but it's still hard to find. Um, I know she has another rye that is coming out um, aged a little bit longer in there. So it might be a little bit better. One thing I will say about rye um they make great old fashions uh, because they can usually handle the sweetness that you make from the cherries and the orange and the sugars that you add in an old fashioned. So if you're a big fan of those, this I would feel like would make a very good old fashioned. Um, it has some very nice flavors to it and the heat, the heat would hold up. It's not a higher, as high as heat flavors. I was expecting it to be for being a hundred proof. Um, so it, but it'll still hold up in a, an old fashioned and it's it has a nice, nice flavor to it. Um, I'm going to cleanse my palate here, move on to the next one. As I do that, my next one, <laughs> I, I picked this one because I've, all, I've been meaning to try it for the longest time. It's been forever since I first saw this. Um, and it's a Willet pot still bourbon. And, um, also, uh, another uh, female um, president in there, Britt. I'm going to butcher her name, and I apologize ahead of time. Colesveen? God, I hope I got that right. I'm very sorry, Britt. Um, she is a fifth-generation Willett family member. Um, this is a distillery in legendary Bardenstown area, which has some amazing distilleries. Like, if you ever have a chance to Kentucky and you get to go to the Bardstown, there are some great ones. Bardstown Distillery alone there. Well, it's it's absolute phenomenal place to go visit. Um, and one of the reasons I love the Willet Pot Still <laughs> bourbon and been wanting to try it is because it has just the coolest bottle. I'm going to post this, a picture of it to um, all my social medias so you have a chance to look at it. It looks, the bottle that comes in is a pot still, looks like shaped like a pot still itself. It's cool. Um, you know, good gimmick, good gimmick on that one. And you know what? Um, tasting on the bourbon, I will say, um, before I get to that, I do want to, again, mention Britt. Like I said, she is a fifth generation family member. Um, her brother is the master distiller and she's been able to continue on um the 80 year old tradition that this distillery has had. And I think you know, it's a great distillery to go have a chance to go visit. Um, she's been there, been obviously all her life, but she took over in 2018 and continues to create great bourbons. There is a bottle sitting in our store right now that if I ever had the price money to get it, I would absolutely do it. Cause she's got, I think it's the 10 year that we have right now. And well, it's I've heard amazing things about it. Have another chance to try it again out of my press range. If somebody ever wants me to try it, I do take donations. So, you know, Venmo me, PayPal me, whatever. Because uh, bourbon's not cheap anymore. <laughs> Even with a liquor store discount, it's not always the cheapest to find. Anyway, um, so on to her, her distillery um, of and her bourbon, which is, it's a 94 proof bourbon. And so it's not the high, it's not high. It's a beautiful golden color to it. Um, has a great smell. It's nice. It, and it's a, not a high price bourbon. It sells about $48 a bottle. 
Um, so it's not high up there, plus the bottle. If you know somebody that makes lamps, it makes the coolest lamps, I will say. You can get the, you know. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. Um, and this is now a small batch bourbon, which actually used to be a single barrel for the longest time. But around 2015, the family switched it over to a small batch. And it's a good bourbon, I will say. Um, it's light. You can pick up cherry and citrus on the smell. And also towards the end, there's a, that hint of vanilla mixed with the oak in there. Um, a little bit of, some some people pick up popcorn. And I, you know, I can see that actually. There, there is some popcorn smell to that. And it's, it's actually kind of nice. Kind of makes well it's popcorn now. Anyway, um, but it's light. And so it's not an overwhelming smell. It's simple and but has some complexity to you so kind of keeps you wanting to kind of you know kind of keep smelling it um also let's get to tasting it because you know that's why we're here um oof you know that is just nice it's a nice bourbon there's honey and caramel at the beginning so you get a nice lightness as it hits your tongue but at the back, a little bit of spice comes up. You can feel some a little bit of citrus starting to form. It's a little heat as it hits the back of my throat right now. So that's where some of the little rye spices come into it. Um, but it's not an overwhelming. Picking up, again, the buttered popcorn and a little bit of cinnamon to it, which is nice. It actually has a very... Now, this is just nice to sip on i would definitely consider this a, a good summertime sipping bourbon because it, it's not overwhelmingly heat to it it's soft um yeah i you know i'm i'm impressed i'm impressed it's more than a gimmick i will say and um so yeah i would definitely recommend this bourbon. Um, I'm going to have to get a bigger bottle than what I got, I think, because I just got the little shot bottles. Yeah, because they're cute. Um, so yeah, I'm going to have to keep this one around. Um, and, and now moving into our final one, which is the new riff. And I wasn't... I tried this bourbon for the first time when it very first came out, somebody I was at a wedding, I think, uh, when I first moved here to Kentucky, and somebody had a bottle of it, tried it, and I wasn't impressed. Um, I, I didn't like the flavor of it. But again, that was at the beginning of my bourbon journey. Um, and But I've heard some amazing, great things. They have a single barrel, which is actually what I will be drinking tonight, that came out that I have several people have recommended to me. They said, you got to give it a try, give it a try. And I'm like, I, I just, I've got that memory in my head. So I was like, all right. Um, I have some friends that are coming out in June that are wanting to check out a, a distillery up in Northern Kentucky. And I knew it was one of them. So I was like, all right, I'll give them a try again. So um, I'm going with the single barrel this time, but um while I was researching 
to find women in women distillers that are involved in distilleries. Um, this distillery is one of the ones that popped up um, with Hannah Lowen as the vice president of operations at New Rift Distilling. Um, she's been a Kentucky native all her life, started in politics and then moved into nonprofits. And the New Rift founder, Ken Lewis, commits her to join um, his team of distillers. And of course she said yes. And, you know, the rest is history. Bourbon history, as they like to say. Um, she's helped build the systems, brands, and aspirations um, that have helped pave the way for new rate, new riffs, sorry, new riffs success. Ooh, getting a little spicy over here. Um, so, and she's, you know, there's, there's, there's some great potential with this um, distillery. They have, they're young. Um, they have a lot of young people that are working there, which is, I love um, that it was some great direction. Again, you know, my, your first, first bourbon hasn't always successful. It doesn't always have agree the same taste. Didn't agree with me, but since then I'm willing to give them a try because they are growing. They are a great, um, they are a great distillery. They're cool looking bottles too. I will say that. That always, that's always fun. Um, so like I said, I'm going with this single barrel. This one is um, about a little over a hundred proof. About, um, what is interesting, maybe this is probably why I didn't really like New Riff at the beginning <laughs> is because they are very high rye heavy bourbons. 30% um, rye in most of their mash with 65% corn and the rest of malted barley. Um, and so that probably, and I was newer to bourbon, so that probably was one of the reasons why I wasn't. So putting all my prejudice aside for, you know, like I said, I enjoyed the Uncle Nearest Rye. So we'll give this one a try. Um, picking up my third glass. I look like a lush over here, guys. I wish you could see this. I should take a picture of my three glasses lined up over here. Um, so this is at 51.9% alcohol around hundred proof. So it is not super high in spice for heat, um, especially considering it is the rye where most, like I said, this is 30% rye where most bourbons have a traditional of 10 to 12, 25%. Um, so there's some potency to it and as I get a smell of it, a whiff of it, it, it hits you that rye you can smell it it's the first thing that definitely hits you um as that as that your senses calm down a little you can pick up the honey you can pick up the caramel uh tangerine also as well that that was an that's an interesting um there there's some herbiness to it probably some fennel again as well maybe a little thyme which eh, that's interesting. I don't think I've often smelled time. Um, this is only a four year old, so it's not super well aged, but um, this but it is done in a single barrel. Um, so let's give it a taste, guys, and see how it tastes. Oh god, sorry, that was bad timing. I'm gonna true that one over. I had a cough. I'm get, still getting over a cough. Um, so that was very bad time. That wasn't in reaction to the bourbon. Let's try it again. 
this is interesting. You get the honey and you get the caramel at first. But there's a very herby again taste to it. And I'm a little weirded out because it tastes a little bit like dill, which I, I don't think I've ever tasted that in bourbon before. And fennel, which has that licorice taste. Um, so this is strange. I it's it's not bad. What does it taste? See what hmm. No. It's not bad. It's not a bad bourbon. Um, not one of my favorites that I've done on here. It's young, tasty. Um, again, they're a young distillery, so they, they're picking up on it. Um, but there's, you know, there's some good levels to the taste of this. Um, you can pick up the oak and the cinnamon in it. Um, kind of like a graham cracker. Um, as well. So there's that sweetness to it, but the, it's the heavy rye. I think that's, that's, <laughs> that's throwing me off <laughs> again. I'm learning rye is still, they're still working on me, but, um, for those that are rye fans, I can see this being a good bourbon, um, against uncle nearest. I probably would go with that one. I've had some better rye out there. Um, but there's there's some fun 